All right, good morning. Take your Bibles to the book of Romans in chapter number 12. Romans chapter number 12. And this morning, I want to talk about the subject of revival. And that's been a big one nationally in the past week. There's been a lot of news about it. And I want to look specifically at the the Asbury revival that people have been talking about and talk about some of the things that happened there. And then basically just compare it to the Bible, analyze it, but really just talk about um, the revival that people are looking for today and what it really looks like and things like that. So many Christians are totally infatuated with the idea of a revival today. And there's a lot of different things that you could say revival is. There's a lot of different things that... Um, and, I, and I think that they're completely perfect to say revival is. For example, uh, one way that I think you could describe revival is being passed from death unto life. And the moment that we get saved, we are passed from death unto life. And I think that's a really good way to phrase revival. Now, the revival that a lot of people are looking for today, I think a better way to describe it would be a transfer from being backslidden to being on fire for God. And a lot of people are referring to that today when they're asking for a revival, when they're asking for a revival in a church or in America or their state or whatever. And so this past week, there, well, actually it wasn't a week ago, it was about two weeks ago on a Wednesday uh, morning service in a chapel at Asbury University in Kentucky, uh, there was a guy named Zach Meekrebs, which I think is just a normal person that would be doing that service for those people. He preached a chapel message from Romans chapter 12. And I'll just read that passage really quick. So if you're there in Romans chapter 12, he started in verse number 9. So let's read that together. It said, Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits, recompense to no man evil for evil, provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord." Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So he basically read through that passage and then went along to preach a message to the people that were in attendance there about the love of God and about the different commandments that were mentioned there. He focused a lot on the end of it where it talked about uh, loving your enemies and not seeking vengeance out on other people. And you know, I listened to the entire message and I tried to listen to it without a critical attitude and just finding all the things that was wrong with it. And I, you know, I didn't really hear anything horrible that he said. You could obviously listen to it and notice, you know, 
deeper doctrinal differences between what we might believe and what they believe. But I didn't listen to anything that he said specifically about the love of God and really think that there was an issue with it. And I want to just give you a timeline of the things that happened after that. So basically, when he was done preaching his message, it was about, I don't know, I think it was 26 minutes long or so, just a little under 30 minutes long. Then they had their praise and worship team come up. And this is obviously a very contemporary style service that they were in. They had their praise and worship team come up. They sang a few songs. Eventually, all the people were dismissed to lunch after that was over. And basically, uh, I've got a quote from somebody that was there that said what happened. I'll just read that for you, their account of it. It said, after the praise team sang a few songs, they left to go eat lunch. While they were gone, a small group of students were hanging around and praying for one another. One guy started to share his testimony with just the remaining few students of how he attempted suicide a few years ago, but the Lord spared him and he was repentant and so grateful for God saving him from dying. Then the other girl said that is when the atmosphere shifted and the outpouring of the Spirit happened and fell in place. She contributed to the young man sharing his story and his humility and repentance the praise and the gospel team came back into the chapel from lunch and began singing again as the students were still there, and the rest is history. And so that basically took place on February 8th in the afternoon. And from that point forward, there was a nonstop service where there were always people in there, there was always something going on, all the way until 1 a.m. on February 18th, which is basically 10 days later. And the reason I know that is because I saw one of the guys from the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast say that he drove up there. And uh, this was his story. I thought it was kind of funny about what he experienced. It says, so, after a five-hour drive to Asbury University, we were excited to experience the Asbury Revival that's been happening nonstop until we walked in at 12.45 a.m. We got to hear the last 10 seconds of a song, then heard them commission everyone to leave, Moments later, we were escorted out of the building by security and armed police. So, so, so basically, they have this event, and it's going on for so long. And, you know, mind you, this is supposed to be like a chapel for a private university reserved to students. They've had people from all over the country coming. They literally hired armed police and security guards to get people out of the building and get them away. And so... Uh, I, I listened to some other things. I listened to, if, if anybody in here is familiar with a guy named Spencer Smith, I know a lot of us are, um, he went to it for a couple hours. He recorded his video about it, gave his perspective on it and the different things that happened there. And then I went and looked at something that the college said saying that they actually released an official schedule now where they're, they're going to have something, their final service of this revival that they're going to have officially will be on next Wednesday at 2 p.m., and they're officially done at that point. No one else is allowed to come in anymore because I think it got to the point where they literally had people from the college that weren't even able to go because it was so full from other people that were there. So they are that university is tired of people coming in from all over the nation to their university. So Asbury University is a Wesleyan holiness university. Now, in the name... That sounds pretty conservative, but in actuality, when you look up what a Wesleyan holiness is, they've got three main points that they all follow. There's not really a set of doctrine or anything that they cling to, but basically these three points, and here's what they are. 
They are centered more than bounded. They are relational more than propositional. They are descriptive more than prescriptive. And I read a bunch of paragraphs about that. I didn't want to, you know, read them all there. I felt like it would have been a waste of time. Here's what all those things basically combine to. Set aside every piece of doctrine that divides us. Set aside all disagreements politically, uh, socially, anything for the sake of unity. Now, these services was basically just a lot of singing from their praise team. Uh, a lot of people were praying. And as it went on throughout the, you know, the next few days and the next weeks, things actually started ramping up in terms of the degree of how much they were, you know, doing. So uh, at first, you know, when I watched the video from Spencer Smith, he actually complimented them in the sense that they weren't running around like speaking in tongues and doing different Pentecostal things and stuff like that because he went towards the very beginning of it. Well, a few days into this event, uh, I saw a video, basically, this is a massive chapel if you haven't seen it. I mean, you could fit hundreds, maybe even a thousand people in there. And basically, there was, you know, a woman standing at the front. She's like leading the service and, you know, but, you know, take note of that, you know. And so she's leading the service. And then all of a sudden, there is a woman like in the front who, not in the front really, but just in the middle. She like stands up and then just collapses in the aisle. And then they all start calling for like a medic team, thinking that there's something wrong. And then all these people run up to her and they're like, no, 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 no medic. She's demon possessed, you know. And so all of the people in the church, it just, it just spread like a wave. All the people in the church just start chanting for the demon to come out of her. And, you know, it's just they're screaming about it. The woman just lets out a big scream and then everything just returned back to normal. You know, so they're all, you know, celebrating that they just cast out a demon. I didn't see anything specifically about speaking in tongues in terms of people that were up on the platform and leading the service. But I would be, I guarantee, and I was talking to Pastor Murcher this morning, he said he saw something about it. But I guarantee that there was tongue speaking going on there. And that's not one of the things that I want to necessarily throw at the university. Because when you have these massive, giant revivals like this, it is a magnet for Pentecostals to come to. Because these types of things are what they are dreaming for and searching for. They're very emotional-based, very reliant on these you know, spiritual movements of God that they would consider. And they're going to flock to these types of things. You know, If you're a Pentecostal, this, these past couple weeks is what you have been waiting for your entire life. And so these are the kind of people that are going to show up to these types of events and that are going to turn the thing sideways and that are going to run out in the aisle and get possessed by a demon or are going to be up in the balcony speaking in tongues and running around doing all these other things. So I wouldn't necessarily say that that was what the college was doing, but that is something that was going on there. And, you know, while I could go off and list all the different problems that were going on with the university, we can just sum it up this way. They're basically just a non-denominational college university. Any of the issues that you would see with a non-denominational college university, this place would share them also, and you can just take that however you please. But, you know, one thing I want to say that didn't happen, I saw a video going around that was shared that was of a, you know, a student of the university 
who was basically talking about how he's a sodomite and that he is um, he was like leading a service, like preaching, talking about how he's an, he's a sodomite, he's an open sodomite, but he's still in the will of God because he's basically remaining celibate and not you know pursuing any types of relationships or anything like that. And a lot of people were sharing it as like evidence that the whole entire thing was fake and all these different things. That video was actually something that happened in 2019. That wasn't something that happened this past week. Now, what I'll say is I highly doubt that the college, you know, has repented of any of that, that they don't think that way anymore and that they've changed their mind on it. But, you know, we should just be clear and, you know, make an understanding that I don't believe that's that's not something that happened at this actual event that we're talking about this morning. So go to 2 Kings chapter number 22. And, you know, we're going through all these things. I didn't really, I tried not to insert as much of my opinion in that as I could. I basically want to just give you a rundown of all the different things that went on there and what happened. And then I want to ask the question now, is revival possible amongst these liberal groups that basically are far away from what I would consider biblical truth, what the Bible would consider as walking in righteousness or anything like that. And, you know, I want you to think about that question as we read Second Kings chapter number 22. So if you're there, this is about King Josiah, and it's a very familiar passage, but let's just read it together. It says, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned thirty and one years in Jerusalem, and his mother's name was Jedidiah, Jedidah, the daughter of Adida of Boscath. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and he walked in the way of David his father, and turned not aside to the right hand nor to the left. And it came to pass in the eighteenth year of King Josiah that the king sent Shaphan, the son of Azliah, the son of Meshullam, the scribe to the house of the Lord, saying, Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may sum the silver which is bought into the house of the Lord, that which the keepers of the door have gathered of the people." And let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord, and let them give it to the doers of the work which is in the house of the Lord, to repair the breaches of the house unto carpenters and builders and masons, to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. Howbeit, there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand, because they dealt deceitfully, or they dealt faithfully. And Hilkiah, the high priest, said unto Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave and read the book to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan the scribe came to the king and brought the king word again, and said, Thy servants have gathered the money that was found in the house, and have delivered it into the hand of them that do the work, and that have the oversight of the house of the Lord. And Shaphan the scribe showed to the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest hath delivered me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And it came to pass, when the king had heard the words of the book of the law, that he rent his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest, and Achiam the son of Shaphan, and Achbor the son of Micaiah, and Shaphan the scribe, and Ashiah, a servant of the king, saying, Go ye, inquire of the Lord for me, and for the people, and for all Judah, concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, to do according unto all which is written concerning us. So basically, right here, ask yourself the question, is this, at this moment in time, a righteous group of people following the commandments of the Lord doing right? No, 
They're not. They're people that have forsaken the Lord at this point in time. They were stunned when they saw what the word of the Lord said. They realized that they had forsaken him. And then this is the response in verse number 14. So Hekiah the priest and Echiam and Akbor and Shaphan and Azahiah went unto Holdal the prophetess, the wife of Shalem, the son of Tikvah, the son of Harris, the keeper of the wardrobe. Now she dwelt in Jerusalem in the college, and they communed with her. And she said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man that sent you to me, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof, even all the words of the book which the king of Judah hath read, because they have forsaken me and have burned incense unto other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be kindled against this place and shall not be quenched. But to the king of Judah, which sent you to inquire of the Lord, thus shall ye say to him, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, as touching the words which thou hast heard, because thine heart was tender, and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and has rent thy clothes and wept before me. I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace, and thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. So, basically, you have Israel in a state where they are far away from the word of the Lord. They have forsaken it. They have not paid any attention to it. And you have a group that needed to have it. You know, when you would look at them, they weren't serving the Lord. They might have given lip service to it. They still had the house of the Lord. He's still commissioning them to do things. But when they actually look into the word of the Lord, they understand we have forsaken these things. We've gone far away. And when you ask yourself the question, is revival possible amongst liberal groups? In my opinion, I think they're some of the best candidates for it. And you know, one thing that I've seen is that as we have time go on, and you have these churches getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you have children born into these churches and raised. And, you know, I'm someone who I've been a part of these places before. And, you know, there are sincere people sitting in the seats that think we're serving the Lord, we're doing right, we're doing all these other things. And it's like if one of them would just get a hold of a Bible and open it up and read it and see what it says, they might be struck and like, man, we are far off here. And we're far away, you know, so in my mind, and, and listen, I understand that when you see something go on and you see an event, you hear about a more liberal Christian college come out and say, we're having revival, we're doing all these other things. Well, you know, I can actually see something like that happening. Now, do I think that that happened in the case of the different things that I saw in the event that I had? Honestly, no, I don't, because from what I saw, there was no coming out of like, we need to repent of the wickedness that we've done. We need to repent of the way that we've forsaken the Lord and gone far off on these things. It was more of just all types of denominations coming together, unifying. That's not a good thing. You know, it's not a good thing to take doctrine and different things that we have to just separate all the doctrine, the doctrine doesn't matter, the beliefs don't matter, and just all come together for the purpose of unifying. But, you know, if you see a group at some point that just completely changes everything, and, you know, they're seeing things, they look into the Bible, and they're stunned and decide that they need to make some changes, don't be surprised. I think that they're prime candidates for it. And, you know, to give you an idea 
of the type of people that are sitting in there listening to these things. When I listened to the chapel message that kicked this whole entire thing off, the guy was in there, and basically, before he starts out, so he, he gives a little introduction, he's cracking a couple jokes, just trying to beg for attention from the audience. And then they have that passage that we started out reading with in Romans chapter number 12. He asked all the students to stand, and he's like, and when we're finished standing, I'm going to say, this is the word of God, I want you guys to repeat back, and we believe it. You know, some, some churches do different weird things like that. But, you know, he was saying that, he, you know, he said that a couple times, just making sure that people understood what he was going to say. And then he went on to say further and explain, I'm, now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, this is the word of God and we believe it. But, you know, if you don't believe it, just be honest. You don't have to say anything. I mean, so he's sitting there preaching a chapel service to a group in a Christian university and basically like, yeah, I mean, I know there's a lot of you that don't even believe this stuff. You know, so, I mean, we're dealing with a far, far gone place, you know. And so I don't think that it's impossible for people to, you know, people like that sitting in the audience looking at something and being, wow, we're far gone. The problem is, is that it's being led by this place that's basically saying doctrine doesn't matter, none of these things matter. It's just a hard-charged thing from a praise band leading all these different things along. And my problem is, what are people being pointed to then? You know, are we pointing them to Jesus Christ, or are we just pointing them to being good members of their communities? Are we pointing them to just being good members of society and, you know, good respectable people and things like that. And, you know, when you compare Asbury to King Josiah's day, you know, at this point, remove your mind from Asbury and just think of a great revival that might have happened like 100 years ago or 200 years ago or anything like that. You know, one thing that I notice when people are talking about the scale of the movement of God is how many days in a row or how many weeks in a row the revival lasted. You know, because people love, you know, and any time I would hear, what, you know, the church that we used to go to, we came from when we lived in Ohio, there was a guy there, he's not there anymore, but he was the assistant pastor, and he was very infatuated with the idea of revival, and talking about it a lot, and he did a lot of research, just looking back at the great revivals that happened in America, and all the different stuff that went on there, and they, the greatest ones that you'll ever hear about, they lasted for weeks, and just no breaks at all, just sitting, just like this one. And I think that's why so many people were so surprised and they were so happy when they heard about this one, because this is the first time that someone's heard about just this large-scale thing. And it started out the exact same way. All these other ones from 100 years ago or so, it's a group of people that they just start praying for God to do something, and they start praying, and then slowly all these people come, and it just turns into this major mega thing and all these people come and they just have church for weeks and weeks and weeks on end and God does a great movement. But when you think about all of these to what happened in King Josiah's day, when you know when I'm reading through this, I don't see like a weeks in a row church service taking place. I see that they've not looked at the word of the Lord for a long period of time. They realize that they're far off from the will of God when they read it and then decide we need to get back in the will of God. We're far away. It's the snap of the fingers. It's an immediate thing. And for me, what I think a lot of these revival meetings are is just a big emotional experience with a lot of people. You know, and when you're in a room 
with hundreds, maybe even thousands of people. They're all singing, in your definition, praises to God. They're all making these life commitments and crying and making all these changes. That's a powerful, emotional, moving experience for those people that are in there. And so they, there are, I guarantee, tons of decisions that people made this past you know, couple weeks. Tons of you know, more taking the word of the Lord seriously and all these different kinds of things. But at the end of the day... You don't need weeks long worth of church in order to get right. You know, you can have revival any service at all. And you know, one thing that I'm I guarantee is going to happen all across churches this week because it wasn't there wasn't really too much news on this last Sunday. But this Sunday, there's going to be so many pastors that sit back that are going to open their Bibles to Romans chapter number 12 and they're going to preach the exact same message that that guy, hoping that they can conjure up the exact same thing that happened there. And, you know, we can sit back and scoff at that, but people that are just like us do the exact same thing for their heroes that led their revivals, where they'll bring in the same bag of sawdust that led them down the trail to the altar that they got serious about things, or where they'll try to preach the same message, or they'll do the same showboating type of thing where they'll jump up in a tent meeting and grab onto the rafters, they'll do a cartwheel, or they'll do whatever, to try to get attention and just conjure up some move of God Ultimately, if you want revival in your life, if you want to get serious about the things of God, you want to be removed from a backslidden state, you know a real simple way to do that? Look into the Bible and just decide that you're going to start taking it seriously. Decide when you're looking at the commandments in the Bible, when you're reading through the Old Testament, and when you're seeing the stories and you're seeing the things that happen to the people that are in there, read those stories and believe them. And understand that they're in there for a reason and that you need to take a lesson from them. When you're reading through the New Testament and you're seeing the things that Jesus did and you're seeing the commandments that we have, take them seriously and actually believe them. Make them a priority in your life. Don't come to church on Sunday to get your daily dose or to get your weekly dose of the Bible. Make reading your Bible every day a priority. Make praying and speaking to the Lord and having a fellowship with God a priority in your life. Don't wait for some week-long service to happen. Because you know what? Honestly, we could have a revival like that literally today. We could be dismissed, and then after church is over, we could... And you know what? I guarantee that all of us would stay in here and do this if it happened. If on the last song, I'm pretty sure Daniel's song leading today, if Daniel didn't say, you all are dismissed, and just said, turn your songbooks to another page for a second dismissal song, you all would do it. And if it was a third dismissal song and a fourth dismissal song or whatever, and we, and we were just never dismissed, and then Pastor Murcher or someone else came up and just preached another message, and we had an altar call, and we do all these things, look, we would be in here for hours. You're, you're not going to leave. It, you know, it'd be kind of awkward after a while if people just started walking out. We're still doing stuff. You know, the, these types of things can be manufactured, and, and you have that stuff happen. Down south, they're real passionate about these things. And I'm not mad at people that are passionate about the things of God, but when you see these meetings that are like five hours long in the middle of a tent and a hot summer night, it's five hours long on purpose because they're trying to get people to stay there forever, you know, and just not cease. And, you know, the thing is, at some point, these weeks-long revival meetings are going to have to stop. You know, people are going to have to go back to work at some point. People are going to have to you know, go back to their daily lives at some point. They're going to have to eat. They're going to have to, you know, do whatever. And so, 
you know, to act like we can just have these things. My question about revival and my question about what happened is what happens when people walk out of the building and go back to their normal daily lives? Because we can't just have church for 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. We can't. We all have lives. We have a responsibility. And we've got a responsibility to reach people that are around us in the world. If we all just sit in here and we all get super spiritual and we do everything, we might as well just be dead and go to heaven because we're not doing anything for anybody out there while we just sit in here and have a really good service for ourselves. If we sit in here and have a really good service and we have a five-hour long service or a 10-hour long service and none of us just decide that we're even going to go home tonight, but we have a really good time and we get really passionate and uh, fervent about the things of God, whenever the moment comes that we go home is the moment that we're going to find out whether anything was actually accomplished or not. And you don't need to have a 10-hour service to find out whether anything was accomplished or not. You don't need a good, passionate message from a pastor to find out whether anything was accomplished or not. You could have that any service you want. You could wake up on Monday morning after church is over on Sunday, get into your Bible, pray to God, and have this type of revival experience that you're looking for if you'll just believe what's in the Bible. You don't need some type of special service. You don't need any special music in order to do that. I think that we should do all these things. I think that we should worship the Lord together. I think we should all come into one place. But you know what? You can have revival, any service that you want to. There doesn't need to be any type of special thing. You know, honestly, if you took anything out of this week and you took anything out of seeing the different stuff that happened at Asbury, if you paid attention to it, if this is the first time that you even heard about it, if you take anything out of looking at any type of revival... Understand it's not a magic formula that just conjures up the Spirit of God and gets anything going that you want to happen. You have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. You are sealed until the day of redemption. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You have the responsibility not to quench the Spirit. You have the responsibility to walk in the Spirit, and the Bible tells you exactly how to do that. The Bible tells you exactly what the fruits of the Spirit are. And so when you find yourself just walking in the Spirit, you're producing the fruits of the Spirit, you're walking around, you love God, you're loving those around you, you are experiencing the revival that you so desire. But do any of us need a 10-hour service in order to have that type of thing happen? No. God already did it for us. He gave us his entire word. He gave us all the things that we need and that we're responsible for. So don't allow yourself to sit back and rely and wait and pray that you can conjure up some type of revival service. You can experience that any day of the week. God is willing at any point. You know, people act like God basically has this giant bucket of revival that he's just waiting to pour out for us to all magically turn back to righteousness. He gave us the way to do it in his word. It's up to us as Christians to decide if we're going to do that or not. We have the ability to do it. God is waiting for us to just respond to what has already been given, not waiting to give us something else so we can finally do what is actually expected of us. So think on these things, dwell on these things. Don't try to conjure something up. Don't try to, you know, go chasing down the next big revival meeting so that you can hopefully get a little piece of the spirit that was dispensed there. The spirit's already been poured out. It happened 2,000 years ago on the day of Pentecost. We have him here. We've got the spirit living inside of us. We can have revival anywhere in the middle of the woods, in the biggest church in the world. It doesn't matter. But draw close to the Lord 
That's how you're going to get what you're looking for. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you so much for all that you've done for us, Lord. I thank you for, you know, if anything happened this week, that maybe there was just a more generated interest in you, Lord. I pray that people would take these things and that they would draw close to your word and they would look to make a change in their life, Lord, and they would draw closer to you and be better Christians, Lord, drawing closer to you for the purpose of reaching others, Lord. Help us to do these things and help us to have a better service when we go on to the next one.